Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to the Sunday Recap. We're so glad you joined us today. Hey, this is Chris McLaughlin here with Mitch Green and Ariel Eldridge. We are here to talk about Go Together, session four. <laughs> uh, Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11, uh, which is uh, what Scott talked about this last week. We, Man, um, I'll say good sermon. Good sermon was, this week. Yes. So many good things. Hey, how are you guys doing? What's going on with you guys right now? Dude, I'm doing great. Yeah. I got to give a shout out to Luke Calvert. Brought me breakfast in this morning. Yeah, we all smelled it. That was yeah. delightful. It was <laughs> wonderful. From Flapjacks, yeah. He, he calls me, the man calls me at about 8.40 and says, hey, be at work at 9.05. Ah. And I said, all right, sure. I thought it was something serious because that's the way my mind goes. Uh-huh. It's like something's wrong. Nope, just breakfast. That's awesome. Oh, buddies. Good way to start the day. That's cool. Um, Mitch, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I heard there's some news going on in your in your household. Oh, I was like, again, what? I, anytime he does <laughs> anything like that, I'm like, what, <laughs> what is, happening? is happening? And on the podcast. Yeah, no, we're having a baby boy. It's public. What? We've gone viral. <laughs> yeah. Whole world knows. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, the video is going viral. I mean, I'm going to quit my job here soon. <laughs> Just live <laughs> off the whatever they call that you get from videos when you put when they go viral. So, baby boy. Yeah. When's he due? March 25th. March 25th. Oh, yeah. man. Coming around the corner. Very cool. We have no idea. We've, we've done nothing but purchase a pregnancy pillow yet. <laughs> JC started to listen to a book yesterday, but... Yeah, pregnancy know. pillows are pretty... I started looking at furniture sets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that was yeah. about it. You got to have that pillow. That's I, awesome. keep t- I keep telling her, just give me the Cliff Notes version. <laughs> like this book she's listened to is like 12 hours of audio. I'm like, <gasps> I don't have time for that. Whoa, <laughs> like, okay. Give me the Cliff Notes version. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in our church right now, we uh, we actually have a few things that are going on. Uh, so right now we are concluding the Go Together series, uh, which uh, we have really two more weeks left of this Go Together series. Simultaneously, we have people doing Pray and Go right now, where, where we're walking around praying for houses in our neighborhoods and things like that. Um, so far, we've seen uh, some really neat stories from people coming back and saying like, oh, this has just been so good, or I got to talk with one of my neighbors and things like that. And um, just the just the blessing of doing that has been, I think, really good for people in our church. Um, and we're starting to see the door fill up with those ping pong balls, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah, so, it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think my math might have been slightly off, so we'll see how far up the door we yeah. get. But <laughs> yeah. definitely it's filling up, which is pretty cool. That's cool. Well, we had Food Truck Friday on Friday this past weekend. Yeah. It was delightful yeah did you come i did you did yeah i was there brought the whole family i, I actually saw you I'm yeah just i was like you didn't crazy. see him yeah. there. <laughs> we hung out we talked there were a lot of people there but i'm pretty sure i'd know if you guys were there <laughs> what was awesome about it was that we were really hoping for like 150 to 200 and you guys showed up oh my goodness we had i think we tried doing the math with how much the food truck sold and it was like four to 450 yeah, yeah. four to four four hundred fifty thousand. i saw people that weren't <laughs> <even> <laughs> <laughs> that's what it felt like well, what was crazy so one of the food trucks left early because they sold out. Yeah. Um, the other one, I mean, the line was insane at, yeah. at, at the food trucks. Yeah. And on top of that, um, man, just the chance to just sit down and chat with people, people that mm-hmm. you haven't seen mm-hmm. for a while or seen in person in a while. Right. Uh, yeah, super cool, super cool. Yeah. They sold 250 burgers in like two and a half hours. Yeah. Just yeah, and they hung in there till the end. So we had a long line and they waited until everyone was served. And I just appreciated that. They, oh, were, yeah. they were awesome. So we'll definitely have them back. But um, it was really cool. You could see the like the starvation of of people time that, <laughs> that this 
you know, this quarantine or this uh, this season of COVID has had on people. We just really enjoyed being together, and that was awesome. Yeah. So. This week, Pastor Scott delved into Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. As we get going, let's go ahead and just read the passage. Um, Mitch, I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, my. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right, I'm reading. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one another. And of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Awesome. You did it. Made it. (laughs) Congratulations. May I can read a paragraph. (laughs) So this passage is so rich. It is so jam-packed with so much great stuff in here. Um, Primarily, I mean, I I think before we delve into some of the application of this stuff, I think I want to point out um, and discuss some of the Christology that's in here, Um, because I think this is key. Verses 5 through 11 is a a piece of uh, kind of church history where it's it's believed that this was this thing called the Christ hymn or a piece of this this thing called the Christ hymn. It's probably a creed or a hymn that was part of the early church in the first century, mm-hmm. very, very early. And what's neat about this is we get a glimpse into what the early church believed about Jesus, um, which I think is fascinating. So just just knowing that, what are some things in here that, that we should be able to pull out about um, our understanding of, of who Christ is? What are some of the, the most important things that we can pull out of this passage? Well, something that I um, that I picked up on after just, I appreciate having a Bible that has some commentary in it. And, mm. and I think this commentary I have here is really helpful. I'm just going to read it. It says, Christ is not said to have removed himself, either his deity or his identity as God. Instead, the Son of God added to his person a human nature without surrendering any of his divine attributes. Mm. And I think that's so cool. So when we read emptied himself, I mean, that's something that um, has often come up in the church of what what exactly does that mean? Yeah. Um, and we see God taking on human form and adding this to his personhood mm-hmm. of the Son. Um yeah, only I I really loved. I got to send in with our women's ministry this week. Yeah, um, which was super fun, super super cool. And shout out to Elaine Keller. I thought she did a really really good job. Yes, she did. But um, one of the things she said that I was like, wow, that's like new for me. And I thought it was really good. She said, you know, when we talk about um, Christ not sit- considering equality a thing to be grasped, there's two ways to think about grasp. There's you're reaching for something that you can't obtain, 
So he didn't consider it something he could obtain. That's one option. Mm -hmm. Or the other option is, you know, holding something with an open hand and letting it slip between your fingertips. Mm -hmm. And he's like, it's the latter is what Christ is doing. It's not that he can't grasp it. Mm -hmm. It's that he's letting go of it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that was such a helpful visual for me. I was like, man, that was, that was, that was worth the price of sitting there listening. Yeah, <laughs> that day. Yeah. I thought it was That's super great. helpful. One of the things that I think is interesting about this passage is that a lot of people will take verse six in particular, what we're talking about, this um, how Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Um, take that and and sort of twist it in a way to to mean that um, that Jesus was not God mm -hmm. to begin with. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and and which is so weird because the very next verse kind of blows that out of the water. But um, there's a whole theology around that, that idea that Jesus, was just a man that was born mm -hmm. and a regular person. But then after his death, God raised him up because of his merit and glorified him to, and elevated him to the status of God. Now, this is totally counter to what the early church believed. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we can see that even in, in here in verse, um, in verse 7, because he says that he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So being emptied means that he would have had to have that fullness beforehand. Right. You know, uh, that, that he must have been pre-existent with the Father, having the glory uh, that, that existed with, with him before that. So that means that he actually is God and eternally is God um, all the way in, into eternity past as well. And that's, that's what I think is so fascinating about this is that a lot of times you, you'll hear more liberal scholars or even um, non-Christian scholars like Bart Ehrman and some other guys mm -hmm. like that who will make a, try to make a case that, no, 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 he's just some guy that, you know, that was born and, and you know, wasn't God in, in all eternity. But it's like, that's not what the early church believed. Mm -hmm. uh, the early church looked at, at this and it's like, no, he was God from the beginning. Um, I think another great pa uh, parallel passage for this, uh, obviously, is going to be John 1, right? So like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word, of course, is, is Christ, according to verse 14. Yeah, I think I think that's the one thing, you know, Chris, I think is important is we tell people a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is Christology. It <laughs> is. Know, just this. It is. We're talking about who is Christ and what it is, what is you know, what is his character? And, yeah. Um, how does God relate to us? And yeah. then how do we relate to God out of that understanding? Right, right. Mm -hmm. You know, another thing that I, that I think I notice in this is there's a there's a pattern that we see in Scripture when we talk about Christ. Uh, which is this pattern of humiliation and exaltation. Mm -hmm. um, as you read through scripture, once you understand that category, once you have that category in your head, you, you can't not see it anymore. It's like one of those like magic eye posters. <laughs> like, it's like you just kind of see it everywhere. Um, so what's neat about this is, is you see this humiliation, exaltation scheme in this passage really clearly. So he was God. He was pre-existent you know pre with the Father. He empties himself, right? And this is a voluntary thing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's something that he does to himself, um, empties himself. And in this humiliation, he, it says he humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Then you have the exaltation, verse 9, God then highly exalts him, bestows on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now, what's fascinating about this is, is this this passage that is in verse 10 this every knee should bow in heaven on earth like that's from the old testament that's from isaiah and what's neat about that passage is that um 
in Isaiah, it's being attributed to Yahweh alone, to God alone. But here, Paul says, no, at the name of Jesus, <laughs> every knee should bow. And, and man, what a reflection of the early church's understanding of who Jesus is. Like this is, he is God. He mm -hmm. is God, you know, uh, right from the get-go. But yeah, you start to see that humiliation, exaltation thing all over the place. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm, I don't want to take us on a rabbit trail, but um, this theme of humiliation, exaltation is really cool. Just a little nugget for you in Mark um, chapter 14, uh -huh. when Christ is in Gethsemane and is getting ready to be seized, um, Mark records a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Mm -hmm. And then later you see in chapter 16, there is a man in a, in a um, white cloth. You know, he's there at the glorification of, of an empty tomb where Christ is no longer. Um, and so we see this little tiny nugget of humiliation as he's getting ready to go to the cross and then a clothed splendorous, you know, being there at his resurrection. Interesting. So are you, who do you think the, the man is in verse 14 or in chapter 14? Well, I don't know. We've heard some speculation that Mark wrote himself into it. Yeah. But um, I mean, I, w I, I think that it's worth seeing that no matter who it is, that he's recording that there's this difference between the humiliation of Christ and then his exaltation at, mm. at resurrection. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, that he humiliated himself um, to go to the cross for us. And then upon, upon um, rising again, that, that glory that he brings and now shares with us is unfathomable. I, I think that was one of the one of the, the coolest things about Scott's sermon on Sunday was when he got to this point with the gospel where, you know, he's he's emptying himself for the empty. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we we are the ones who are empty. We're the ones that are without glory. And the one with glory, the one who is full, empties himself. Um he became ignored and overlooked for us so that we might be glorified, mm -hmm. you know, eventually. And what a, what an incredible savior. Yeah. That's just, uh, just awesome. Well, let's dig into some of the application of this because through that Christology, we see the humility of Christ. And so Paul is asking and exhorting the the Philippian church to, to do the same thing, to have that same mentality. Why is that? so important for the Philippian church to have this mentality among them. In my D group this week, we talked about this and it was, it was interesting that we finally landed on um, how much more efficient we are in being fruitful when we, when we have the same mind and we're mm. in unity together. Mm -hmm. um, just the, the amount of work that's accomplished through a body of believers who are, are running together um, yeah. in step with the gospel. Definitely. I mean, productivity for the kingdom of God is key um, with this, having unity together, having the same goals and the same, having the same mind together. I think we also see the, the idea of like what Scott was talking about here, this, this killing community and building community mm -hmm. idea um, that we really have this um, decision to make in the way that we interact with each other that is going to either build up or destroy the relationships that we have with one another. Mm -hmm. um, why is it that, I, I mean, just from a practical standpoint, let's just kind of dig into this a little bit, but why is it that when we are um, self-serving and 
and not humble when it comes to these things and have this selfish ambition and whatnot. What is, why is it that that destroys the relationships that we have, destroys our unity with one another? What, what practically happens when, when we start acting that way? I think several things happen. Um, if we're, if we're talking about the fruit of being unified and moving together, if we're not, um, participating in the spirit together towards the same goals and we're like in tangents going different directions that aren't in, in a unified, um, effort towards the glory of Christ, but in, in pursuit of our own glory Mm -hmm. that, um, that we just, we scatter, um, and it's, it's chaos, and we know our God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And, and so um, this participation in the Spirit together actually helps us unite to um, accomplish the things that he has set in advance for us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I see that happening. Um, I also just see the selfishness of what um, being um, having your own ambitions do to, like, the one-on-one relationship with another with another believer, mm-hmm. so that starves them of the opportunity of just serving um, the body together and serving um, beyond themselves, rather than trying to move toward their own selfish ambition. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think I think Ariel, you know, what I, what I'm thinking upon when I'm reflecting on this passage, like you, is that we practically speaking we begin to start to build our own kingdoms. Yeah, um, and it all begins. It all begins with a misplaced identity of um, by reflecting who Christ is. Mm-hmm. You know, the very first thing you know that's said in this passage. It's actually talking about Christ, but it says a lot about us. And it says, you know, that he um, took on the identity of a servant. Mm-hmm. And then the next line says, um, "Where's that at?" He said, uh, "Empty himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." Okay, so Christ is taking on the identity of a servant. How's he doing that, being born in the likeness of men? Mm-hmm. So that says a lot about human identity yeah, right it there. It says yeah. that we're servants, <laughs> you yeah. know, in a sense. So if we don't walk into community having this mindset, then community becomes about us. And it yeah. becomes about how do we accomplish what do we need, you know? And I think that we all walk into church with a lot of different things, a lot of different goals in mind, a lot of different baggage. And sometimes those reflections are not about serving Christ. They're not about growing his body or growing his kingdom. Ultimately, sometimes they're about growing ours. Mm -hmm. You know, I've often heard people like, oh, like we came back to church because we want our kids to be in the kids program and to grow up, you know, with a clear moral, you know, compass, you know, or something. Or or other people are like, oh, I came into church because I want to make more friends and I moved here because I want friends in my life. And all of these things, while they're not necessarily bad in themselves, they're about fixing your kingdom. They're yeah. not about how do you serve within God's kingdom. That's right. Right. And so I think, I think practically speaking, it's like if we misunderstand um, the act of what Christ is doing and why he's doing it and then how we relate back to that, our identity when we walk into church is misplaced. Mm-hmm. And it becomes, again, about how do I gain what I need to accomplish what I need for my kingdom and not how do I contribute to what God's doing within his church right now. It reminds me of the contrast that happens in Genesis 11 and Genesis 12 between the Tower of Babel story where you have the people creating their own human, great human kingdom, Mm -hmm. right? They're they're trying to achieve their own great human kingdom. And then in chapter 12, so chapter 11, God frustrates that and and disperses the people and confuses their language. But then in chapter 12, you see him pull Abraham into his fold and says, mm. I'm going to make you into a great nation. In other words, I've got this plan for a kingdom and I'm going to begin it with you right now, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and so 
uh, and I love what you said about about being a servant, uh, identity-wise, because ultimately what Paul points out in Romans chapter six is that we are either servants of sin or we're servants of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're going to serve one or the other, you know. So, but but if we don't have that mind in ourselves of like, no, no, I'm in charge. Like if we have that that yeah. that mindset, man, that wrecks so many things we're we're only going to live for our own human kingdom mm-hmm. our own kingdom little kingdom of chris yeah. that we're building well, right? well, and <laughs> then and then even even if you are in tune paying attention to you know the message of the sermon whatever they're talking about yeah. you know youth group as a student you begin to start to say how does this help me accomplish my human flourishing mm-hmm. without even realizing it yes. you know and it becomes yeah. about how you know even even a message about community and building up God's community becomes, you know, okay, well, how can I gain the community that I want? Right. You know, rather than how can I serve, <laughs> you know, be a servant yeah. in Christ's community. Yeah. And, and count s- on the Lord to provide those things. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Jen Oshman says in her book, um, Enough About Me, she says when we replace theology with meology, we will always come up empty. Um, and I think that kind of ties in with what Scott was talking about, that we're just, we have a glory shaped hole in our hearts that we are trying to fill ourselves and with our own glory yeah. rather than seeking the glory of Christ yeah. and his kingdom. Why do we hunger for that kind of glory? Scott took it back to the fall, which I mean, you can't yeah. avoid. That's a, that's yeah. a perfect place to go. Um, and just thinking that, um, you know, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, thought that they could pursue this on their own and that mm-hmm. they could have their own little tiny um, piece of a kingdom without God, you know, or they could attain what he has yeah. based on merit. Like it says to to eat the fruit and be like God. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if that's the reason why we hunger for this glory, this this sin that's that's within us, how does that contrast then our purpose? How does how does this hunger for glory and self-elevation, self-exaltation. Mm-hmm. How does that contrast our purpose that God has given us? Man, we, I remember being a young Christian and just sitting on my mom's bed and just crying because I'm like, I feel like I have this purpose that God has given me and I just don't know what it is, <laughs> you know? And I just want it to be this big, glorious thing that I'm going to do for his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was seeking out something that was famous or something that was like fulfilling on this side of heaven. When, But when I finally heard the, the words that I exist for God's glory, yeah. for the glory of God, that, I mean, I can do whatever I do for the glory of God. That's and, right. You know, the St- Stephen Curtis Chapman song that you can pick up lost Cheerios off the floor for the glory of God. That is a, that is a good news for, for normal people who Absolutely. are yeah. walking this earth. Yeah. I think, I think if it's, if it's really about God's glory and God being glorified with our lives, then again, we can look at our present circumstance and we don't apply so much guilt to ourselves as we do. Right. You know, I think a lot of people are in a state of saying like, I have to live rightly. I have to live rightly for God. I got to fix this problem. I got to do this right thing, or I got to be a better husband or I got to be a better wife. And we apply all this pressure and then we think that's the way that we glorify God. Well, there is an element of like being faithful to God's commandments that is glorifying to God. Mm -hmm. But even more than that, bringing glory to God is standing on the truth of the gospel message of who Christ is. And so that's why our identity is so driven by who Christ, what Christ's identity is, that it's like, guess what? Like you can be, you know, really struggling in many aspects of your life and you can be not making a lot of money and you can be, you know, not in your best season of marriage and God still 
can be glorified through you. Yes. <laughs> like yes. you, exactly. Like God still can use you yeah. to spread the gospel to people. You don't have to write a book, start a yeah. podcast, be on TV. You don't have to have a you know mega church or a parachurch organization. You don't have to like start some movement. But God wants you to be faithful with what he's given you. And I think really what we're doing when we all start to list those lists of the things we don't have to be, what we're saying is that it's about what Christ has done. It's not about what you're going to do anyways. Exactly. So the, exactly. So the glory side is is the message, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's the worldview. It's the it's the way that we understand how we live Yeah. Um, and in response to what Christ has done. But I think sometimes we move over to go, well, no, it's about me accomplishing these things or me figuring this thing out or getting right. better at this so that Christ can get the glory. But it's like his glory is already there. <laughs> yeah, like you're yeah. living in response to that. You get to participate a, in his glory. Is yes, really what's happening. Yeah. yeah, I think this is a new vision for a lot of people because it's such. It's so in contrast to the American dream in a lot of ways. You know, we. I think our culture has sort of built in us that we should, you know, um, aspire for bigger and better things and 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 be extraordinary. But being ordinary is actually what God might be calling us to. And, and I think that's actually a really good thing. Um, wonderful book on this is called Ordinary by Michael Horton. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he discusses this uh, short little book, but really, really good. Um, I'll put it in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. But, um, but it's just the idea that being an ordinary person, faithful, and then eventually when you die, actually being forgotten. And that's, and that's what kind of we're supposed to be doing, <laughs> to, yeah. to be ordinary um, to live faithfully and be forgotten. And, uh, but, but the thing about that is, is the Lord never forgets who we are either. You know, like, like just, just putting all of our identity and our hope in him and him alone. And he knows who we are and our names are written in his book, you know, so. Scott was talking about another thing that another symptom that comes up when it comes to like killing community is the idea that as we pursue um, filling the the glory void that we have within us, one of the things that we might do is is become critical of other people. Mm-hmm. And being critical of them is really something that we do to try to make ourselves feel better. Like everyone else is wrong, y'all are idiots, and I'm the one that that has it all right, you know? And, and so that's self-exaltation by tearing everybody else down. That's really convicting in an election season. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, what I thought was interesting about this is that um, he brought up this idea of, um, he, so he brought that up, and then he he contrasted this with also I think with being um, discerning, and so so he kind of warned us against some um, some books that are out there and things like that that talk about this idea of self love, um, how how um, ultimately self love is this thing that our world is trying to push on us, saying we need more of it, more self love, more self love, but. What he what 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 he's saying, what scripture is is showing us here is that self-love is actually the problem. <laughs> it's actually the, the main issue. So I I, I kind of have two questions around this. So let's start with the first one. Um why why would you think that self-love is the problem? Even though our, our world is screaming out to us that self-love is what we need, why is that actually the problem? If I have a t-shirt that says I'm worthy and I'm enough, then there's no room for Jesus. There's no need for him, you know, and, but, but I get to a point, like if I'm walking in my normal every day and I realize I come to a halt, I'm actually not 
enough and I feel like I'm not enough. I feel a little empty. Like what, what do I do with that? Mm, yeah. Even though my t-shirt says that I am. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, so um, there, there is, there is a void in each of us that cannot be filled by ourselves. And um, no matter how hard we try, we will always come up short. And um, so then what do you do with those people who have been burned by that? Yeah. Um, you have to point them to Christ, something that is beyond ourselves, something that isn't human, um, that goes beyond this world, that transcends um, a kind of love that is completely perfect. Yeah. I think it's a great point because like we, if, if someone was wearing that T-shirt, I would want to ask them, like, wow, do you, do you feel that way about yourself all the time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if someone who's honest would probably answer no, you know, and 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 so having our faith placed in ourselves that uh, and and our our own um, our own merits basically is what we're looking at. Like, do I feel like that val- valuable all the time? Um, that's so fleeting because it, it goes up and down and it wanes. But having our faith in something that never changes. Um, and that changes, that changes everything because, because now we, we can have our identity grounded in our God who says that we are valuable because he died for us on the cross. Um, and that Mm -hmm. will never change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm in a spiritual formation class right now and we're reflecting a lot on calling and, you know, what is calling and what does it look like? And, um, you know, one of the questions that I've recognized through this process of thinking about calling a lot is that when I'm starting to misstep, often I'm trying to answer the questions of the, what God has called me to in relation to what do they mean for myself rather than how do I, you know, relate to God's vision, you Mm -hmm. know, or what God, what God is doing. So it's, it's a simple nuanced thing, but often, you know, so one example is I've recognized that, you know, I like helping people do things, you know, well, for weeks I've been reflecting upon how, you know, I think God's called me to help be a helper, but my, it's all been about, okay, God's helping me. God is calling me to help people do these things. And this is where I thrive. Mm Kind of what what Chris is saying, like, that's right where I'm in my zone. Mm. And I was driving into work yesterday and I was thinking to myself, was kind of pray. I pray a lot on my drives into work. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, how does this calling to be a helper relate to what God's doing? Like, how am I helping Christ? accomplish his work in this kingdom here and now. And I think there's this simple flip that we have to do in our mind sometimes from saying, how do we relate our calling to what Christ is doing and not just relate what we think God's calling us to do in relation to ourselves mm-hmm. and what we want to accomplish, mm-hmm. which ultimately is where we drift into that state of human human flourishing, where we're saying like, yes, God's calling me to do this for this purpose for me, or maybe God has given me this gift for this purpose that relates to him. Yeah. And how does he get the glory in that? And I think if we can't answer that question, we're probably like in the state of just thinking about our human flourishing. Oh, absolutely. You know, God wants to fix this for me. And I want to say too, I I think that that even relates to what happens right at the end of of chapter one in Philippians, where he he talks about how um, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. So that suffering Mm -hmm. itself is a gift, according to this, it's a gift from God so that um, he might be glorified and for our own good in, in, in that too, which is, which is crazy to think about. And that's, that was my other answer to your question. Yeah. Honestly, it was like, how do we know that it's not about human flourishing because the amount of talk about suffering? In oh the New yeah. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like simply put, like there's just, there just seems to be no talk of it's about flourishing mm-hmm. anywhere. 
all the talk is about suffering and God growing you through that. Yes. <laughs> so it's like there's yes. just there just doesn't there's no room for it. Yeah, you know? right. Absolutely. Well, my second question with this whole concept is is kind of introspective. So he, you know, he talked about this idea of when we're trying to, so one of the things that we might do is try to fill this glory void by being critical of others, elevating ourselves to, so that other, we're basically putting other people down to make ourselves feel better. At the same time, um, he gave us a little lesson in discernment mm-hmm. on like mm-hmm. being discerning about the things that we are reading and the things that we're exposing ourselves to. Um, that, that to me presents a little bit of a tension because um, I don't want to be critical, you know, at the same time, I do want to be discerning. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that properly in uh, like, and even as fallen people, what what's going to help us to do that properly? This is so good because um, I'm going to have the honor of getting to talk with Moms Crossing about this this next week. Um, but really, we can find God's goodness and his truth and his word. His word is truth. Um, and so you know, filling ourselves with that truth over and over will help us to discern what is good and what is not so that we can start to kind of separate these things as we're walking through life. Um, But I think what it does is it helps us recognize a false gospel um, and see whenever we are being told that that, uh, what we need is within ourselves or um, that prosperity is the thing we're seeking, you know, to flourish as a human. Uh, We can better recognize that and, and toss it. Um, it doesn't mean that we need to tear those people down. Uh, it doesn't have to be a witch hunt. It doesn't have to be, you know, like this this battle with those those people, those individuals that have written books or are speaking. But it can help us to formulate what we're going to um, feast on yeah. and what we're not going to devour. Absolutely. As yeah. a Christian. Yeah, I, th- I think as Ariel said, the scripture is foundational, you know, in that. I think the second thing I would say would be, reading um, whatever you're reading in context of community, mm. I think tends to help a lot, yeah. you know, so other people are reading it alongside you that see um, things the same way that you do, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so that you can raise your questions with them about it. I think far too often I see this and I had a friend post this recently where he was just like, Hey, read things outside of what you think, you know, cause it'll grow you. Sure. But I'm like, honestly, like, you know, if I was again, being critical, which we shouldn't do, this is a friend who I think is often, they're always reading things that are outside of, you know, Christian orthodoxy, uh-huh. you know, and it's forming the way that they think. And yeah. so I think I think it's important, you know, to if you're going to read something that you don't, you know, you're not comfortable with, you don't know what's going on, read it within the context of community with other people that you trust that have Christ as their foundation. Idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that you can you can support one another in that conversation mm-hmm. around it. And again, if you're evaluating your time and that's a majority of what you're reading then you need to be reading more scripture. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I think I think that would be the process. I think that's that's getting back to scripture is the key to this because I think it's only through scripture um that that, that always brings us back to the gospel that helps to ground our identity in Christ and him alone. Mm-hmm. Like it, it it shapes our worldview and if and it helps us to recognize that we are created for his glory. Yeah. And, and his glory. And alone. I heard Matt Chandler say this once and I really, really liked it. He said he said, you know, we're called to be critical. We're not called to be a critic. And I mean, what and what he was saying in that is like we do need to be discerning, you know, yes, kind of like Scott's yes. saying, like like we need to be looking at these things. We need to be, you know, evaluating how we're spending our time in our life and even those around us. But it's like if you become like you're a movie critic with everyone's life, like you can look right. around and write a one page paragraph on where their struggles are and 
you have, you know, you're not discerning in your own life. It's like, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then that's what, that's what I mean. Like coming yeah. back to the gospel, having your identity shaped by the gospel can actually help prevent you from having a critical spirit about things. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think, cause at that point you're not searching for your own glory anymore. You're, you're secure in him, you mm -hmm. know? And now we all waver in this, you know, uh, but that's why going back to scripture over and over again is so important, but continually going back and recognizing, you know what, I don't, I don't need to be critical of this person. I don't need to be uh, a, a critic or judging them or, or whatever. What I do need to do is be discerning about what they're saying and, and ask myself, all right, well, what do I do with that? Do I, um, is that something that's just for me that I need to just be discerning about it mm -hmm. and say, yeah, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take what was good from what I read, but I'm going to throw out these concepts or, um, or maybe you'll have to do something different. Maybe this is something that you need to talk to your kids about. Maybe it's something you need to talk to your spouse about, or, or uh, maybe you have another wider sphere of influence that you need to discuss this with, mm -hmm. um, you know, the people that you're reading a book with, <laughs> things yeah. like that, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so those things are really important, but being, having your identity grounded in, in the gospel, number one, is, is I think gonna, the, the, the main thing that's going to protect your heart from becoming overly critical mm -hmm. in those things. Yeah, we talked about gospel lenses before we talked about that. Yeah. I think now we're talking about like gospel posture. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like yeah. it's like a new one. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just this Coined by it, Mitch Green. Well, it's, right? yeah. no, it's, just, it's just this posture in, in these situations. You know, what, yeah. are, what are you trying to accomplish? Absolutely. Um, something else I wanted to throw out here too, because, uh, you know, I've walked through a season of like hard times with ministry discernment and just trying to shepherd people through um, being discerning and, and, and maybe even like separating out things that, that are not feeding us well. Yeah. And I would just ask, you know, like as you're part of a church, um, just be open to your shepherds, you know, separating wolves from the flock of that they are in charge of because they, they are, um, our leaders are watching over us for the purpose of discernment and making sure that we can pull out things that are, are not good for us. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always good to ask, you know, if you don't know why. Um, but we just, um, if we can, if we can do theology in a community, um, it's it's good to lean into leadership and allow them to do that for you, and not and not um, view that as um, as them not being nice to you know that that ministry or that, that material that they're pulling out, but they yeah. really are trying to, um, protect yes. our, our people. That's a great point. I mean, and so, yeah, you might be going through something right now or reading something or watching something and you're like, oh, I'm just not sure about this. Maybe I want to ask one of my pastors or one of our staff members or an elder, like come and talk to us about those things. Um, we, we, uh, we love those kinds of conversations. Actually, I think I think they really are are helpful for us as well. But to be able to do that in, in the context of a community where we, we're discussing those together, I think is is wonderful. It's it's a it's a great way to um, uh, to really uh, help to shape us and to and to help to shape the the church at large. So yeah, yeah. Just as we close today, I, I think it's this is one of those times where I think that we can actually kind of take a step back and see what exactly are we doing here because we're spending a lot of time talking about Christ, mm -hmm. Christology. We're talking about a lot about you know this theology around who Jesus is and and how that relates to us. Here's the thing with this is that because uh, we are as Christians, we are being formed into the image of Christ. That means that that as we look at Christ and look at who He is, we're seeing who we're being formed into. So actually doing Christology is one of the most practical things that we can do because 
because as we discuss who he is, we're actually looking at who we ought to be or who we're being formed into. Why is studying theology for you one of the most practical things that you have put your mind to? Yeah, so so specifically within this circumstance, I think that, again, we, if we just look to talk about how to be a functioning community, um, we're probably going to turn to, you know, standards outside this world and look at communities and see how they function and work. Yeah. But um, the Bible is rich with not only instruction, but theology about God and who we are and our purpose that informs the way that we engage in community. Mm-hmm. So so we're, we're coming to the table looking to an understanding, as Ariel said earlier, that's outside this world mm-hmm. that helps inform how we act and how we live together um, in yeah. response to who Christ is. So my natural tendency in sin um, would be to turn to focus solely on myself and what I want and what I can gain in community. But in Christ, I see this picture of a servant. So in a roundabout way, um, it's, it's a theological belief that is forming kind of my ethic, <laughs> you know, the way that I engage within community mm-hmm. um, by looking at who Christ is. Mm-hmm. So while sometimes a conversation like something like Christology would seem out there in the clouds, it's actually the thing that is no, most relevant to the way that I live. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I would just add that um, studying what Christ has done and, and growing our theology of who he is really gives us an even better option when the world is screaming to us and we feel like we only have two options for how the world should be run or how America should be run. And we look at how they are saying, you know, community should be this way. Well, we would make community this way. And we feel like that's our only two options and they both look really hard, really bad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But now we have this third option that goes beyond any of that and um, gives us a grounding that we can look to knowing that um, that God is sovereign, that he is good 100%, that he is not going to fail. And, um, and that standard is so far above anything we have as our options here on this earth. Yeah. So in an, like, a, an election se- season, I feel peace knowing that, that this is what I can look to as the ideal. Yeah, absolutely. So as we have glory, like as we are longing for that glory, um, have that that space in us, we realize how empty we are, um, and we just turn to the one who emptied himself for us. Mm-hmm. We turn to that, the one who emptied himself so that we might be glorified um, one day with him. And that is our hope. That's our hope in Christ. <laughs> uh, we turn to him and him alone. Well, thanks for joining us this week on the Sunday recap. We got uh, two more weeks of the Go Together series, and we're gonna we're gonna dig into the rest of Philippians chapter two, and uh, and plow through some really um, kind of big concepts over, the, over these next two weeks. And so we're excited to see that, guys. Thanks so much for the conversation today. Yeah, um, this is good stuff. <laughs> we're here. We're the here. podcast is lucrative business, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, we'll start but, inserting ads next week. Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. But yeah, we're so glad you guys joined us today. And uh, we are looking forward to our conversation next week on the Sunday Recap. See you then.